You're listening to the Weekly Geekly, Omaha's counterculture podcast. So you make, when you're, you treat everybody, for me, you treat everybody the same. Like if, if someone's respectful of your time and energy and space, like I, I will give that back. And I enjoy giving back to people because it's the fans and the community of, of people that have supported me. And I, I used to, you know, I'm still you just in a different place. And so I have I have the ability now to give back, to give whatever it is, inspiration, information, whatever I can give to, you know, the version of me, whatever that was 15 years ago. And if that, you know, one conversation or one word can inspire someone to, you know, have the, the passion or chance that I, chances I've had, then I'm more than happy to do that. The Weekly Geekly is brought to you by Synergy Nation Network, Viva La Synergy Nation, and powered by Project Nerd. You're listening to the Weekly Geekly, Omaha's counterculture podcast, the one-stop shop for everything geek. I'm your host, Mikey Colshean, and with us today, we are very blessed to have Sam Hargrave in the studio. Sam, how are you doing today, bud? I am great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man, this is awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm, I'm sure you're crazy busy, so this is awesome that it worked out. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out as well. We are, are busy in post-production here on my first feature film. At the moment, it's called DACA, but we're, we're searching for, a, 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 I think, a better title, or at least a different title. Um, but we're, yeah, knee-deep in it, and so I'm, I'm glad to step out for a second and talk to you guys about uh, all things movie-related. Heck yeah, it's probably nice to get a little break from the editing room floor. <laughs> and you were working in the MCU as well with, with Daniel. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar, Daniel Hargrave was a previous interview we did. Uh, we discussed some MCU stunt guy stuff, some stunt coordinating, other things like that. You guys have been closely working together for a while now, right? We have. Um, I mean, if you count being brothers and growing up together, it's <laughs> coming on 33 years now. But we... Um, I started in the Marvel Universe, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, more properly said, in the 2011. I was um, doubling Captain America, uh, Chris Evans, on the first Avengers film. Damn. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, that was my first entrance into the MCU. And then from there, I I did Captain America, the Winter Soldier, as uh, Chris Evans' stunt double. And then I did... uh, Captain America Civil War is his double and the stunt coordinator, and then Infinity Wars and Endgame, and um, it was uh, it's been a really fun ride and a really um, life altering experience. Such a great group of people, filmmakers over there at Marvel. Oh yeah, and I mean it's such I mean stunt coordinating as an industry is something that as a moviegoer you're not you're not thinking of right off the bat. But it's so it's so submerged as an industry. There's so much going on. Everyone is very tightly knit from what I've been able to gather. Um, now, MCU aside, I know you've done some stuff with Hugh Jackman, some Wolverine stuff as well. Um, that blew me away. You did the Wolverine movie, correct? I did the first solo movie, um, Wolverine, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And I was – this is a common uh, misconception – 
I have never been the stunt double for Wolverine or Hugh Jackman. I I look like him. I get it all the time walking down the street. Yeah, you look like Wolverine or you look like <laughs> Hugh Jackman. And I do like I, I facially like my, yeah. my facial structure is similar. He he's a he's much taller than I am. He's got he's probably six three. Um, really long arms, short torso, and my my good close friend Daniel Stevens is his longtime stunt double. He, um, we, we both worked together on that show back in 2007. We started on X-Men Origins Wolverine and Daniel was the, his stunt double and I was the stunt double for Sabretooth. So we had Schreiber and, uh, Taylor Kitsch who plays Gambit. That was, uh, those are the people I doubled on that show. So I, I have been on in the Wolverine universe, but I was actually not Wolverine. That was Daniel Stevens. I think Just that's, that's like a mandala effect thing because like it's on your page it says you were wolverine on imdb you should probably go get him to fix that bud <laughs> you know uh, yeah because it's it's hilarious that I, I i didn't put it up there i i mean people you know people that i know who know i didn't they still yeah. refer to me as uh, you know hey little wolverine and it's just one of those things that danny and i laugh about now because it's followed us for i guess it's 14 12 12 years now <laughs> that's so crazy and to be on yeah. like the cutting room floor of something that has grown to be this big that's got to be another feeling, you know, like I never would have expected when the first X-Men movie came out that anyone would ever keep doing comic book movies because it's such a, uh, a very long standing culture where these people have grown up with these characters. So one false move and everyone's up in arms, much like Star Wars, you know? So yeah. when that first X-Men movie dropped, of course there's the, the fanboys and the haters and all that, but I didn't think that the momentum would build into the MCU, but man, was I wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, and that what a what momentum it's had since 2008, since Iron Man. I mean, it's 22 movies now or more, and um, a storyline that has been so thoroughly woven together into this patchwork of awesome. Right. It's just been an amazing journey as a fan. Like I remember seeing the first Iron Man and just being blown away as a fan. And then to be a part of that universe is quite an honor. That's so badass, man. Well, I got to like tip my hat to you because I've always been kind of martial arts centric, especially at a younger age. Uh, it's something I'm trying to get back into, trying to get into some kickboxing, stuff like that. And I see some of the stuff you guys pull off and I'm just like inspired, you know, inspired to get up get my ass off the couch and stop reading comic books and go out and do something, you know? So oh, do it. Well, they're, they're, you know, do, I'll say, I'll use your star Wars reference as Yoda do or do not. There is no try. You got this man. Get Hell up yeah. and do it. I love that. That's such a great attitude to have. Like, oh. so cool. Um, in that term of stunt coordination, I mean, I was looking on your page and you've got quite the laundry list, my friend. Uh, you've been around, you've got, and it's not even just comic book movies. I mean, I've seen Atomic Blonde and I saw that maybe two or three times. So that was, that was amazing, man. Um, some of the stuff you guys pull off, it's very easy to tell, um, how some people are specialized. Daniel was saying something about this. He was uh, more of a jack of all trades when it comes to the stunt world. Uh, if yeah. you could kind of pinpoint your, uh, skills precisionly, would you say you're more of a martial arts guy, like a hand to hand or what's, what's your bag? That's how I started. I, I my specialty entering the business was kind of martial arts and, and Hong Kong style falls and fights. I was kind of a acrobat for the time. I put in quotes acrobatic, you know, faller. Like I would take some big spinny flippy tumbles, mm. and that was kind of how I got recognized. But then over the years, I uh, 
I became a jack of all trades. You know, you have you just kind of learn or figure out that the more skills you have on a film set, the more valuable you are, and the less people they have to take. Because you know, if you've got if one guy drives, one guy fights, one guy you know, can ride a horse, one guy can edit. That's four people yeah. that you have to take on a show. If you can do all of them, that's it's one person, and to save the production money, and you get you know more work. So. With the martial arts stuff and having gone to film school, I would say, aside from hand-to-hand combat and choreographing fights, my what helped me and led me kind of to the quickly to the path of directing was the, the doing or being good at the thing we call a fight viz. Mm. You would for a director when you you know get the script, you break it down, and you, they would ask to see how you would you know, kind of see this action going down. So we would choreograph, shoot, and then edit these sequences and then kind of make them as entertaining as possible, put music, sound effects, and basic visual effects when I was doing it. Guys nowadays are phenomenal with their, you know, 3D uh, creation of cars. And, oh, right. Uh, it's like before that. you're just Thanks. making home movies and now it's like it's a movie in its own right almost, you know? It's become quite a skill, and that so that was I, mean, I haven't made it to the level of the guys that like I would hire now, like the Greg Rementers or the or the Nate Perrys. But um, I was pretty good at, in my day and pretty fast, and so that that was kind of my thing that I, the extra bit of value I brought as a stunt performer was knowing cameras, knowing editing, and being able to help out in that way. That's awesome. So in in being a director, transferring over to that, so has being in front of the camera because I know you've done some acting as well has being in the front of the camera kind of given you a different perspective on what to ask of your actors like are you has it kind of changed the way you directed you think I mean this is your first directing role but I would assume that having so much time in front and coordinating so much and acting that you've got that inside kind of information in front of the camera so it's easier to kind of translate it from the backside you know does that kind of i don't know relay like that totally i mean that sums it up very well i i think the more as a director the more you understand about every department and their job the better director you can be so and that includes acting so i i it was very interested and still am. I mean, I still, I'll take acting roles. I audition for stuff all the time. Like I, I'm, I'm not, I try not to pigeonhole myself in one category. When I was doing stunts, I would also act and I would, you know, I was edit, I would do all kinds of things when I, you know, now I'm directing, I'll still act. And so I think an under, an in-depth understanding of everyone's job makes you better at your job. And, uh, the time I spent in front of the camera as a stunt performer and as an actor greatly influenced my abilities as a director to understand how to speak to actors, to know what I'm asking when I ask it, uh, know when to back off because sometimes you know actors are delicate creatures, so you, right. you got to know when to to talk to them. It's all about relationships and understanding communication, and uh, being in front of the camera helped that process greatly. When they do say actors feel more than most, you know, you have to kind of be more of an empath to be an artist. For sure, because you 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 know if you look at it as you compare in a in a more I guess blue collar sense like the the work in quotes that an actor does may be less obvious sometimes than the work of say a grip or a camera or a stunt right. person, but you know the what they 
get paid to do is that they're being vulnerable. They're opening themselves up to these experiences and being in the moment that is extremely hard to do, sometimes can be painful. It's a difficult art. And that's a, you know, so they're, they are putting themselves out there, the, the great ones, the good ones. Every time they're doing these scenes, they're going to a place of vulnerability and pushing themselves, um, you know, emotionally, psychologically. And that's a very taxing thing to do. So in terms of that, like, uh, speaking of the new Netflix movie, I know you guys are still in post-production. Do you have a date yet? Do you know any kind of month you're going to think about releasing it? Yeah, Netflix is a little different than the traditional studio model. So, you know, in the studio, they give you a, a release date. It's going to be, you know, um, April 4th. Here comes the movie on 2019. But with Netflix, they're a little bit looser. And so we have uh, what they call a window. And I've been told, the last I was told was our window is between like January and March of 2020. Okay, cool. So so not that far away when you think about it. I think it, it kind of hinges on there's a, some other movies, kind of big action movies coming before that get like a, a December release window. And okay. so depending on the success or how those films are received, it will affect our release day. I, I imagine it's, this is a new for me too. I, I it's right. my first time in the Netflix world. So I, I'm learning a lot in this process about how they work. That's interesting. I didn't know it was more on a window base like that, but I could see it because it's easier to control things like that when you're on a, on a platform such as Netflix. And it always like just geeks me out when I open up Netflix and there's like, boom, new movie right away. I'm just like, oh, they know what they're doing, man. And I, yeah. I'm sure they don't want anyone stepping on anyone else's toes as far as getting the amount of saturation in Netflix. You know, you come out with a new big movie. You want to know how it's going to perform before you set the new guy. That's awesome that they do that. So you're not just like, oh, my movie's right before this new one that comes out. Damn it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That, that's how, again, I'm, I'm learning as I go, but that's how I understand it is that they, they play it a little bit more loosely. So if the movie is out and doing really well, they don't want to compete with their own movie and throw another movie on top of it. So, um, and it's a balance because there's other users uh, who are subscribers who are going to want different content. So the reason our window is, um, is, a little more flexible is because we're coming after another big action movie. So I think we're, you know, going after a similar demographic. So mm. we don't want to muddy the waters, so to speak. So it's very interesting. It seems like a good marketing strategy. I think it's working so far. Netflix is pretty popular. Right. Hey, they're still around. And there's a lot of streaming services nowadays that are unfortunately closing their doors. And yeah. with the new NBC, Fox is thinking about doing something. Disney is, you know, they're going to pretty much juggernaut the entire streaming industry. So it's nice to know that Netflix and Hulu and all these other guys kind of have a plan. Because, yeah. man, don't get me wrong. I love Star Wars. I love Marvel. Those are always going to be great for me. But there's something more grassroots about Netflix. Just finding those movies that don't have to be out on the big screen you know it's it's a different medium all in its own great yeah so i mean it's gonna be disney is i mean is a juggernaut in the entertainment industry as a right. whole not just streaming so they're, they're gonna they're hard to compete with but i'm at the moment i'm happy to see netflix holding their own it's fantastic for for filmmakers because they they're they want and need a lot of content so movies that you know before in a different environment wouldn't get made Filmmakers are having a chance to, you know, get their voices heard for better or worse. It's a whole new world, man. Twenty years ago, never could have seen this kind of stuff happening. You know, 
I love it. So after over a decade of stock coordination and acting and all these different parts you've played, what was the deciding factor where you said, you know, I want to try directing? What kind of gave you that push? Well, I actually have been on this trajectory since I was probably eight years old. Oh, wow. So this is a long-standing dream for you. Well, what's funny, it, a dream that you don't have you have a dream, but you don't really realize it's a dream until somebody says, hey, you're dreaming, and you go, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I'm dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> but explain, explain that is I was, you know, I grew up on a farm and my brother and sister, and we were always doing, you know, fun stuff, and we would make these little short films, these little westerns that my sister would operate the camera. I was usually directing, showing my, you know, my brother and I, we would do fights and fall off horses and stuff. And I never really, it was most, at that point it was imitation, not having any idea what a director was or why or any of that stuff, but just doing it because I wanted to, I was very influenced by film and television. So I would try to emulate what I saw in movies and TV. And so I didn't think anything of it. Then, you know, got into martial arts and that translated to loving Jackie Chan cinema and that went into film school. And even, even at film school, I didn't really, you know, I was doing everything. I knew I wanted to make movies and I would, I would write, direct, I'd do the stunts, I would act, I would edit, I'd do it all. And that was how I understood movies to be made. And so that was just, that's just what I wanted to do and what I did. So when I came to Hollywood, the, the stunt side of it was, presented to me by my good, uh, one of my best friends, close, uh, very close to me for throughout since we were like 14 years old, Sarah Harris. He was the one that suggested stunts because I apparently was good at falling on my head, to quote him. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And so I, I kind of went off, not off the track, but just, you know, kind of on the side there, a different route, I put the path of the stuntman because it was, I was young, I was, you know, athletic and love to jump around and fall around and I, I got pretty good at it so I, I did that for a while always knowing that making films was what I was doing and wanted to do because I would make short films while being a stuntman and always with my you know little pinky toe in the pond but it was <laughs> it was just I guess it was um the Russos just presented an opportunity I started to think about it more when I was second unit directing and you know got in the DGA and I was like oh this directing thing I apparently I'm, I'm not sucking at it too bad and then it, everyone kind of saying and me thinking at some point now it's, we need to step off the uh step off the platform and take take the dive into the the world of the pool of feature films and then it was just getting an opportunity and you know Joe Russo wrote this script many years ago now um, at the time it was called Ciudad when I first read it I think I read it like four, five or six years ago and I liked the script at the time wasn't cons being considered for directing I was just reading it because I like to read scripts and uh, then on Infinity War Joe I mean we talked back and forth about directing and he, him saying that he thought I you know, could do it and that I ought to and he's like I might have this script that could be good for you and so he sent me uh, the script but he had changed it a little bit to you know the title of DACA and the story changed a little bit so I looked it over and said it's still the same you know same good story I like it but I have a few ideas so he was like what are they we sat down changed a few things and then it just kind of the snowball started rolling from there because we you know he's like this would be good we you know we Agbo we got this new company we're going to start producing things it's for filmmakers up and coming filmmakers like you so I think this could be a good fit uh, you know, who would you see in, you know, the role of the 
the main character, Tyler Rake. And then we talked about it, and originally, humorously enough, it was uh, Remy Malik. Oh, really? That was, yeah, because well, we wanted to do, the whole time, like, a thought of this thing is not just a uh, an action movie. I wanted to make something more, something that was a little more of a, and I don't want to say art house, that might be too uh, specific, but an artistic take on action that had a very emotional story, mm. but with the action that I had, you know, become known for and just very visceral, real action. So the, and I thought the script offered that, and so we were thinking of turning the action hero um, archetype on its head and going with somebody that you wouldn't see coming as an action hero, and just as far as handling the emotional performance, but then thinking if we took him, got him in the gym, and got him training, we could make a, a hero, an action hero out of him. We thought, oh, Remy Malik could be great, and then so we were heading down that road until. Chris Hemsworth got wind of this project, and he jumped in there and said, I like this script. I want to do this. Yeah, and he's done a couple other soldier films before, so this isn't anything new to him. He's kind of had his foot in that demographic before, so it's kind of cool to see someone return back into that, but this movie is nothing like the other ones, you know? And the reason I think he was so drawn to it as... The, the, for the, one of the main reasons I was is the kind of emotional journey of this character that he portrays of this guy Tyler Rake. I'm it's really his, happy that he's doing a lot more roles like that. You know? Yeah, that's no, I, so I think, great for I mean, him. He really in this movie he, he fully committed to this role, and I think it's going to be a Chris Hemsworth that people haven't really seen before. Oof! And we just saw a Chris Hemsworth that we haven't really seen before in Endgame. <laughs> so, and, and, and truthfully, you'll probably never see in reality, but because he's very <laughs> health and fitness. But I think it's an amazing role, and it was one of the coolest things I've, I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I thought that that was very well done. It it, it could have gotten to the point where nowadays where someone could get offended by it. And there were plenty of people online trying to start a stink because that's every good movie that comes out. Um, you're always going to get the clickbait articles or, oh, what did they do this time? But, like, to me, man, I used to weigh, like, three plus. So now I'm probably 165, all just string bean and beard. <laughs> so Oh, you're sporting the beard as well. Yes, sir. I, I got the, uh, the big old beard right now. <laughs> good for you. Well yeah. Done. But, I mean, that kind of hit home to me, man, because that was a struggle I had, like, early high school. And, you know, it, it's, it does take a toll on you psychologically. So to see that Thor was still worthy, man, that was so powerful to me. And I embraced that. That was so cool. That's, that is fantastic. And that, that's one of the things about those movies in general, and this one specifically, that is you speaks to so many different people on so many different levels. Because all these characters have their personal journeys that other people can relate to. And that's what is so great about the Marvel Universe and just heroes in general is that, you know, once you make them relatable and if you can say, oh, I, you know, I know how that feels, but then they make the choice, you know, that we want to make. That's what makes them heroes. That's what separates them, makes them the mythological characters is they, they make the choice that we wish we could always, you know. That's such a good uh, way to put it because it really is our modern mythology. This is the closest thing we have to the old Greek myths, you know, is, is superheroes and comic books. It's, it's something that has been a tool for, for youngsters forever since the 40s, 50s, you know. Like, it's awesome to see it keep going, but it's, it's even more awesome to me to see whether it's in the books or the movies, there's always a narrative that someone can take a life lesson out of. True. Yep, I totally agree that the superhero movies are the 
mythology of modern day times. And it's, and I think in a just purely, um, I guess, objective or subjective point of view, I think Marvel has created a wonderful mythology um, with their characters and the, the journeys they've gone on have been fantastic. I cannot wait to see where they go for the next 10 years. It's a huge shakeup, so I, I have no idea what they're doing, and, and I know they do. They've probably planned this. Kevin Feige probably planned this uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, his vision is pretty incredible. It's, it's a, a really special thing to watch develop. So I saw that you actually had a acting role in Endgame. Yeah, I did. They, I saw you in got, there. <laughs> they, yeah, they, I mean, most of it was cut out. I was a, um, I was the driver of... Uh, in the Scottish village that drove Hulk and yeah. uh, <laughs> so you can see the back of my head as I drive the truck down the hill they cut out all my coverage because it was just too long and I was too good I, I would have stolen the show right. from Hulk. so I understand why they did it I understand you just played such a good truck driver that it would have just totally derailed the story right uh, yep it would have just, <laughs> just thrown everybody off they couldn't watch anything else so I, I, I understand why they cut it they had my they had my um, my uh a good grace. <laughs> yeah, I was doing my due diligence, just you know, like I do before interviews, and I saw that, and I was like, "No, no way!" So I went back and watched it, and I was like, "Damn it, I can't see his face." <laughs> yeah, that, that's so funny. So, what was it? Uh, what was it like with David Harbor? Mm, David is a very interesting guy. He, um, we had some great uh, initial phone conversations to you know, kind of pitch him on the role and. And I saw the character in a very similar way. Um, but then on set, you know, he came in with a, uh, what I would call a very traditional acting uh, mentality, which was, is very, and I haven't worked with a lot. I mean, I've worked with a couple. Mm-hmm. Like, like Benedict Cumberbatch has a similar process. Um, it's almost British in a way, or, or theatrical, and he comes from the huh. theaters. Um, you know, just wants to communicate with the director and have just a very, specific uh, protocol on set, which is, you know, which is great. So long as you communicate that ahead of time, no problem. And we got some really, I mean, he was never the same, you know, we would do takes and it was never the same in a good way. And he always something fresh and new and you could edit his scenes in five different ways and have five great performances. So it was really fun to work with him, both, both, you know, having that, stream out of him on set but then getting in the edit room and just seeing like wow you got so many choices here of you know things that you could ways you could go with this performance he was he was really really cool to collaborate with and that's just another instance of that versatility you were talking about earlier when you give options whether it's what you can do or how you can perform it really helps everyone in that process break down what they want out of it so yeah. having five different scenes or you know five different scenes where they're the same but that emotion changes or how he portrays it changes that's got to be fun yeah. man that's gonna be fun to kind of pick through the ones you like and and paste them like you want them you know i would be envious to see that that editing floor <laughs> yeah it's, it can be it's it, it, once you find the the flow and the tone of the scene and what you're trying to say it's the movie starts to reveal itself there's a lot of ways you could cut it in different flows and stuff, but then that takes you in a different route, takes the energy of the scene and where you're going as, a, as an overall uh, thematically, it just takes it in a different direction. So the movie, you know, the performance comes out of the editing process and kind of becomes what the movie needs. 
but it's great having so much canvas to work with that he, he gave us a lot of great stuff and we had we had some good times he's a, he's a good dude it's good to see him still going at it man he's got a, a hell of a year I mean, with oh, Hellboy I, and Stranger Things and the new Netflix specials he came out with, like, he's just nonstop, it seems like. Yeah, well, he deserves it. He's a very talented guy. He works hard, and he, he's, I mean, he's great. Like, the camera loves him. I love watching him. He always brings something interesting. I've loved him on Stranger Things, and he's he's one of the highlights of our movie, for sure. Like, he, he really stands out. He's, he's a fantastic artist. I think Stranger Things, for me, and Hellboy were, I, I, you could kind of see the tone shift between dramatic and, and very comedic. Yeah. And that's hard to pull off. It, it no, really he's got is. A lot he's got a lot of range. He's a very talented actor. Um, oh, where was I? Sorry. <laughs> so in that kind of a, a scope of range and how you were talking about editing, um, I'm sure from the moment you and Joe sat down and talked about it and it kind of finalized what you wanted to the moment you're editing, it almost becomes an entirely different project. Oh, yeah. They say that you make... Three different movies. There's there's three different versions of the film. There's the script, the movie that you shoot, and then the final product. Because you know you're trying as best you can to shoot the script, but sometimes things change based energetically on what's happening on the day. And then when you get into the editing uh, suite, you're like, huh, well that's you know that wasn't quite what we were going for. We let's try this take, and oh now it's changing. It's going in a different direction and to leading you down a path that hopefully isn't too far off from what you wanted because you signed on to that script for a reason, but it is a very different animal altogether than what it started out as on paper. So with DACA, is that what you're calling it, right? That's what it's called right now. It's called DACA. Um, but I think it's going to change just because of the, um, just because it's hard to remember, hard to say, and it gets confusing because of the, you know, the immigration thing, but, um, we're working on the title right now. It's called DACA. That's awesome. I was reading a little bit of the synopsis and just the way that that sounds. Child stuck between a drug lord, kind of a war thing going on. Guy hires another guy to maybe rescue his child. And that was enough to kind of get me like, ooh, I had a little nerdgasm. I'm like, okay, knowing what I know and who's in this movie and who's putting it together, this is going to be nuts. I'm so excited to see how you coordinate the stunts how Hemsworth kind of shifts from dramatic back into stuff like this as well. Like, man, it's going to be fun and I cannot wait to see it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm excited for the world to, to see the movie and the, the performances. And I, I, I can say that hopefully there's some stuff in there that you haven't seen yet. And I have to give Hemsworth major uh, props for his, his performance, not only dramatically, but his performance of the action in this movie is unbelievable. He's he's a force of nature, this guy. Hell yeah. So I asked Daniel this question. I'll ask you the question as well. Um, okay. He said you, which was a very sweet answer. Um, who is one person you have worked with or want to work with that you kind of aspire and look up to? What? Well, my, my brother's one of them personally. Like, he... he Professionally, I get you know I have another answer, but personally, he's one of the most uh, kind and positive and centered individuals that I know, and I I, I, sh I want to be more like him. So he, he would be, yeah, he would be the person I like want to be more like. He said the same thing about you. Oh, this is getting all lovey. Oh, <laughs> he was like, uh, man, I looked up to my brother. He got me into this, helped me out. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like, 
I wish I had a relationship with my brother like you guys do, man. It's just, it's heartfelt and it's very um, inspiring to people because, you know, it's hard to work with your siblings sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I always, and he, I don't know. He tells he may tell it differently, but I remember when well, the cool thing about you know that answer, and I assume from him, I know from me is it's true. Like I'm not, there's no reason to, you know, blow smoke up his bum. He, know, I mean, he knows how good he is, but it's the for me, it was never. I never wanted to work with people or hire people. I was in a position to hire people. Uh, I never wanted to hire people because they were my friends or family. It was right. All the best person for the job. That was, and you know, it's at times it it took him like it took him a while to be that, and so I didn't ever hire him when he wasn't the best guy for the job. And I know he he tells a version of it where he's like, he wouldn't hire me for two years. (laughs) It was never because he was, you know, I didn't want to take care of him. I wanted to hire hire him, but I I never wanted it to be his favoritism. I wanted him to gain respect from people on his own merit, which he, which he has done, which to me, one of the proudest moments I've had in the business is going to Atlanta and showing up on a set, people recognizing me and saying, Oh, you're Daniel Hardrick's brother. Ooh, I bet that was cool. And I go, yeah, yes I am. So it's, I think it's very important for people in life and in this business to kind of build your own reputation on your own two feet and your own merit. And I wanted him to do that. And he did. And so then he very quickly became the best guy for the job. And now he is one of the best. And this is just legitimately one of the best in the business. And he, he did that. I just, I opened doors and like try to give people opportunities, but I can't do it for him. And he put in the work and the effort and it's, you know, it's, his work that has put him where he's at now. And I, you know, I respect and uh, proud of him for that. That's awesome, man. Like I said, so cool to see you guys kind of come up in this industry together, but in your own right, you know, that's so cool. So as, as a director now, what would be some words of advice for any young directors, someone that's trying to break into the industry? Well, I mean, I would say it's a very interesting time because of technology and access to technology. Uh, I would say if you want to tell stories, if that's the passion that you have, tell stories. You can make a feature film, you can shoot and edit a movie on your iPhone now. It's possible. Technology is, a, and, you know, that's that's just a, a, a bad example. But you can, there's access to equipment and things and online, you know, you can go on YouTube and find tutorials there's there's ways to get information now that were not accessible when I was growing up and you know it still didn't stop me then I think there's even less excuses now if you want to tell stories there are so many ways you can in this day and age in this platform that don't let anybody stop you like if you've got something to say if you got a story to tell and a way you want to do it do it and you know that that passion I think is going to will show through in the work and then you know, hopefully the work gets recognized and you, uh, you know, don't let anybody stop you if you want to tell stories I always uh, I always look at like guys like Kevin Smith uh, Silent Bob and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I get so inspired by their stories he uh, literally when he made Clerks just maxed out a credit card and hoped it worked uh, went to Miramax and they luckily picked it up but sometimes you gotta take risks you know you got to uh, put yourself out there even if it's not comfortable because it's like the more awkward situations you get through the more you've grown and now that situation ain't as awkward next time you're in it you know yeah I'd say always you know I learned that with recently I guess in the last couple of years with music it's like you're you 
you may never be ready. Like you never in your mind, you never be ready exactly where you want to be or know exactly how to do something. But it's kind of in the doing of it that you experience life and you grow and learn. Now there is the balance of that is growing up and doing stunt work. Is we I would always people say, oh, you know, you're risking your life. You're taking these, you're doing these risky things. And I'd say it's it's calculated risk. Right. So I'm not. I would never say. You know, just do it, man. Like, just, just go grab a camera. Like, you have to put in the work. You need to, if it's something you love, you got to learn about it. You got to study it. You got to you know, understand it as best you can and then, you know, dive in. Same with a stunt. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, sure. I'm just going to hook you to this wire and push the button. You know, <laughs> Good luck. That's, that's not being a responsible adult. Right. So if you're going to do this, learn as much as you can, but don't let fear stop you from taking an opportunity like when you you know when it presents itself and you may not be 100% ready but you have to be ready enough that it's like you know luck is when chance meets opportunity oh absolutely right? preparation meets opportunity so like um, and that's like with my brother like when when you're prepared when you're putting in the work and then the door opens you kick down that door and you run forward because the, you know because you're ready if you just sit around thinking about it or hoping it's going to happen when opportunity knocks you, you may not be fast enough to the door. So you got to be putting in the work and you know, your passion should be fueling that. But then, you know, when the chance comes, man, go for it. Amen, man. And no one else is going to do it for you. You know, you got to get out there and just grab your slice of life. God helps those who help themselves. Amen to that. <laughs> well, before we get out of here, any final thoughts from you? Anything you want the uh, listeners to know about the upcoming movie? Uh, well, I would just say, you know, the – well, one, check, shameless promotion. Check it out because it, for, the thing I'm most excited to, to see and hear from fans, people that see it, is how they respond to, to Chris Hemsworth in this role and kind of what he's done – and where he's gone as an actor, like emotionally, and the action stuff he's done. I'm really excited for people to see it and to just uh, experience it and uh, hopefully enjoy it. That's so badass. I can't wait. So we should be expecting it early 2020. Uh, you, you Netflix heads, keep it open. Keep paying that subscription. It's getting more and more worth it. You know, people were complaining about the, the upcharge, but I'm... I, it's three bucks and I get more content. So <laughs> thank you, Netflix. I love what they're doing. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, man. It really means the world to our uh, small Omaha, Nebraska community. You know, we don't get much out here, so anything we can get, we're, we're starved for it. So thank you so much, man. Hey, the pleasure was mine. Thank you very much. As always, I've been Mikey Colsheen, and with me has been... Sam Hargrave. Woo! And you've been listening to The Weekly Geekly.